Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 48, 49, 50 and 51 of The Da Vinci Code. So where we left off, Langdon and Sophie were in the back of an armoured vehicle escaping the bank, driven by the bank manager, which signals to me that it's a very bad bank manager, but apparently he's doing his job by letting the criminals escape. Look, there's some shades of grey there and they're just telling each other stories about Da Vinci and cryptexes. And he says, hang on a tick. I think I know what this cryptex is. And she's like, yeah, because I've been telling you for the past half an hour. And then that was the end of the chapter where we left off. So we pick up chapter 48 and Langdon's musing on his idea. He's not revealing it yet to Sophie. He said, I think I know what this is. And then he just had an internal monologue for a page and a half. And then finally he'll loop Sophie in. So he's thinking like, oh my God, it's the Priory Keystone. That's what this is. He says, yes, there is a legend that the Keystone is an encoded stone that lies beneath the sign of the rose. And he's like, well, there's this nice little drawing of a rose on the box, on the rosewood box, must be the Keystone. And Sophie's like, hey, Robert, you want to fill a bitch in? And he's like, oh yeah, um, so sorry, like, did your grandfather ever speak to you of something called la clef de voûte? And she says, the key to the vault. And he goes, oh, no, that's the literal translation. Like, you fucking dummy. Clef de voûte is a common architectural term. Vert, or however you say it, refers not to a bank vault, but to a vault in an archway, like a vaulted ceiling. And she says, okay, but vaulted ceilings don't have keys. And he says, actually, they do, you bloody dummy. He is being so rude to her. (laughs) Just tell her what you think instead of asking her questions and when she responds, shooting her down. You're a bad teacher, Robert. Uh, That's the literal translation of the French. Well, yeah, she speaks French. Like, heaven forbid she'd translate it, you fuckwit. So he says that vaulted archways require a central wedge-shaped stone at the top which locks the pieces together and carries all the weight. In English, they call it a keystone. And he's watching her eyes being like, is this getting through to her? Like he has no confidence that she will figure this out. And she looks down at the cryptex and she's like, uh, this obviously isn't a keystone. And Langdon, oh, it says Langdon didn't know where to begin. He's like, oh, how am I going to explain this to this dumbass cryptologist who just taught me what a cryptex is? No, it's not a cryptex. It's a keystone. Well, actually, instead of <laughs> explaining it, he just thinks in monologue to us, the reader, 
that keystones are a masonry technique for building stone archways. Ah, boring, boring, boring. One of the best kept secrets of the early Masonic Brotherhood. Keystones had always had a tradition of secrecy. Blah, 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 blah. Like he's really so indulgent. He has to explain everything that comes up. Every single little thing. And I don't think it matters to the ultimate plot because I don't think what he's talking about is right. I I don't know. But also like it's pointless because like if you think this is the keystone, then it's not talking about a vaulted ceiling, obviously. So you're just explaining the translation of vaulted ceiling, why it's a metaphor. It's not necessary to go into it with this much detail. And Langdon's like, well, you know what? Even though I did just explain everything in monologue, um, the Priory Keystone's not actually my specialty. I'm more into the symbology behind the Holy Grail, not how to find the Holy Grail. And she's like, what? Find it? Her eyebrows arch at that. And it's like, oh, did you not think you were trying to find a Holy Grail here? Like, have we not been talking about that for chapters and chapters? And she's like, oh, the Holy Grail can be found. Like, yeah, no fucking shit, bitch. Okay. Um, so Langdon nods and he says, Sophie, according to Priory law, the keystone is an encoded map, a map that reveals the hiding place of the Holy Grail. And she's like, oh my God. And you think this is it? And he's like, well, yeah, it says the keystone was the only logical conclusion he could muster an encrypted stone hidden beneath the sign of the rose. He was like, well, this must be it. (laughs) It's the only explanation. It's the only explanation for a cryptex in Sonia's bank vault, according to him. Like the only explanation he could muster. And he's thinking that the idea that the cryptex had been designed by da Vinci, a former grandmaster of the Priory of Sion, was a tantalizing indicator that this was indeed the Priory Keystone. And then he's thinking a former grandmaster's blueprint brought to life centuries later by another Priory member. The bond was too palpable to dismiss. Are they taking it for granted that Sonia was a member of the Priory? Are they just basing that off of this key that he hid behind a painting at the Louvre that just had PS written on it? And yeah, it did lead him to a bank vault with some weird shit in it. Like, I'll, I'll give them that. But I don't know if that's confirmation that it's the Priory of Sion. But he's convinced. He's convinced himself. And then he tells us, oh, it doesn't tell Sophie again, mind you. <laughs> just tells us that for the last decade, historians had been searching for the keystone in French churches. So grail seekers were assuming that the Clef de Voute was a literal keystone and it was in some church somewhere under a vaulted archway. And that archway might be underneath like a stained glass window of a rose. The hiding place seemed diabolically simple, does it? The map to the Holy Grail was incorporated high in an archway of some forgotten church, mocking the blind churchgoers who wandered beneath it. And yet no one's ever found it, so maybe it wasn't. And Sophie says, the cryptex can't be the keystone. It's not old enough. I'm certain my grandfather made this. It can't be of any ancient grail legend. Okay, well, that's something I think I'd wondered before, being like, is this Da Vinci's cryptex or is it Sonier's cryptex? But it doesn't matter because Langdon says, well, actually, the keystone is believed to have been created by the Priory sometime in the past couple of decades. God, fuck me. This secret society never keeps anything to their chest. Like, yeah, okay. If the cryptex was made in the 1700s or something, yeah, like, yeah, sure. I can see how maybe word might have gotten out about it. But like in the past 15 years, the Priory couldn't have kept that tight enough. They couldn't have kept that shit close enough to their chest to keep it a secret, but now all these grail seekers are aware of it. And then Sophie says, 
But if this cryptex reveals the hiding place of the Holy Grail, why would my grandfather give it to me? I have no idea how to open it or what to do with it. I don't even know what the Holy Grail is. And it's like, well, he didn't really choose to give it to you. It's not like it was on his like wish list of things to do. He, he died, Sophie. He was in the Louvre, in the grand fucking gallery. He got shot. He admired the parquet floor and then he scribbled some cryptic clues onto it and he hid the key behind the painting. It's got nothing to do with you really in in regards to why he would pass it on. He had no other fucking option. If he could have given you a full debrief, I assume he would have. Maybe if you answered his calls, he might've given it to you sooner, but you didn't. And so she's like, yeah, I don't even know what the Holy Grail is. And Langdon realized to his surprise that she was right because he hasn't carried on that conversation yet. Remember he was in the car and he was, a no, he was in the taxi and he was about to explain it to her. And then the taxi driver wigged out. That was ages ago. So he never finished his sentence and filled her in. He just had his own little flashback while she sat in silence. And now he's surprised to realize that she was right. Oh, she has no idea. Yeah, cause you haven't told her. And then he goes, oh, well the story would have to wait. He's got no time. They're in the back of a truck, not, not doing anything. But no, the story will have to wait. That's just Dan Brown trying to delay it because he keeps teasing us with it as well. Like, just come out with it. And even though he has no time to explain that, he then explains to her everything about the keystone at great length, in great detail, painstaking detail. He goes on and on about the keystone. He says, for security's sake, for years and years and years, The location of the Holy Grail was never written down. It was verbally transferred to each new rising Seneschal at a ceremony. However, at some point during the last century, (laughs) whisperings began to surface that the Priory policy had changed. Perhaps it was on account of new electronic eavesdropping capabilities. Oh my, oh my goodness. (sighs) New electronic eavesdropping capabilities. The Priory vowed never again even to speak the location of the sacred hiding place. So what they did was when one of the top four members died, the remaining three would choose from the lower echelons, the next candidate to ascend as a Seneschal. And rather than telling them where the grail was hidden, they would give him a test through which he could prove that he was worthy. And yes, it's he, I'm using that pronoun because they're all male apparently. Heaven forbid the Priory would induct a female. Uh, So yet he would have to pass a test. Again, how this escaped into the public knowledge, not too sure. But Langdon's got the full on fucking rundown. Is he a Seneschal? Is he? Because I feel like he might be. And then Dan Brown goes on for another full paragraph about how the Masons also do a similar thing. Not necessary for us to know that, but he knows it. So he wants us to know that he knows it. And Sophie had looked unsettled while he was talking about the like merit test. And then he goes, oh, Langdon suddenly recalled her mentioning how her grandfather used to make treasure hunts for her and that this was a similar concept. Okay, so then she says, oh, all right, yeah, so it's, it's a proof of merit. If a rising priory seneschal can open it, he proves himself worthy of the information it holds. And he nods. And then he says, I forgot you'd had experience with this sort of thing. What do you mean? What do you mean you forgot? You just mused about it. You just suddenly recalled her mentioning how her grandfather used to make treasure hunts. Three lines later. Oh, I forgot you had experience with that sort of thing. No, you didn't forget. You just remembered. And he says, Sophie, you realize that if this is indeed the keystone, your grandfather's access to it implies he was exceptionally powerful within the Priory of Sion. He would have to have been one of the highest four members. 
And she goes, oh yeah, he was powerful in a secret society. I'm certain of it. <laughs> and how, how does she know that? Because she saw him fucking in the basement. He was raw dogging someone in a gimp mask. And so now she's convinced that he was the head of a secret society. And Langdon, he's like, what, you knew he was in a secret society? And she goes, yeah, I saw something I wasn't supposed to say 10 years ago. We haven't spoken since. She doesn't really go into the sex cult of it all, but she's like, yeah, I saw something. So now I'm convinced. She says, my grandfather was not only a ranking top member of the group, I believe he was the top member. And okay, so he wasn't bottoming that night in the basement. Good to know. And Langdon's like, what, grandmaster? But there's no way you could know that. And she's like, mate, I don't want to talk about my grandfather getting dicked down in the basement. I don't want you to know how I know, but I know that he was a top member with his top member. So then Langdon's like, wow, Jacques Sunier, the grandmaster. Why is he so shocked? Like with the actions of that individual in the Louvre, <laughs> not indicating that he might've been in that upper echelon. All the anagrams and clues and a key pointing you towards a cryptex. Nothing tipped you off about that maybe being suspicious that he might be up, up in the top ranks. But no, he's shocked. But he also had the eerie sensation that it almost made perfect sense. And he says, after all, previous Priory Grandmasters had also been distinguished public figures with artistic souls. And he knows that because a few years ago in Paris's Bibliothèque Nationale, they found these papers called Les Dossoirs Secrets or Les Dossiers Secrets. I don't know fucking French. And so every grail buff poured over these papers and they were also authenticated by lots of specialists and historians. And so now it's just common knowledge that these people were in the Priory. So we had Leonardo da Vinci, Botticelli, Sir Isaac Newton, Victor Hugo, and Jean Cocteau, the famous Parisian artist. I don't know who the fuck that is. So this is just written down on a piece of paper in the National Library. And yet they're the most secretive secret society ever. And then Langdon realizes that he was meant to meet with Sonia that night. And he's like, oh my God, the Priory Grandmaster called a meeting with me? Why? To make artistic small talk? It suddenly seemed unlikely. Why is it only seeming unlikely now that he called you to a meeting? Wasn't he like top shit before, but now... uh, I don't, I don't understand why he is so dumb, this Langdon. This Langdon is such a star fucker that when it was just the head curator of the Louvre, he was like, oh yeah, I guess I'll meet with him. Like, no big deal. But now he's like, oh my God, he was also the grandmaster. Like, oh, what an honor to be meeting with him. And then he's thinking, if my instincts are correct, the grandmaster of the Priory of Sion has just transferred the Brotherhood's legendary keystone to his granddaughter and simultaneously commanded her to find Robert Langdon. Inconceivable. It sure is inconceivable. It sure bloody is. And then Langdon's imagination could conjure no set of circumstances that would explain Sonier's behavior. Maybe the fact that he was dying from a gunshot wound. Like, are we just glossing over that? He didn't shoot himself, guys. Oh, what a fucking idiot. And he's thinking like, oh, well, if Sonia feared his own death, there were three center show who also possessed the secret and therefore guaranteed the Priory's security. Why would he take such a risk by giving his daughter the keystone, especially when the two of them didn't get along? And why involve Langdon, a stranger? Like that doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine any other outcome. He can't imagine that maybe the other three are dead as well. How can you not imagine that? And it just reinforces again how much Silas really did fuck up by spilling the beans, being like, oh, I've killed your little friends as well, by the way. You screwed up there, Silas. 
Uh, and Langdon's like, oh, a piece of this puzzle is missing. Yeah, no fucking shit. It's because your imagination is limited. But then the car starts slowing down and they're like, wait a minute. Why is he pulling over? We can't be that far out of Paris. What the hell's going on? So then it stops. The back door of the truck opens and there's Vernet holding a gun. And he goes, sorry about this, but I had no choice. And that's the end of the chapter. And so we start chapter 49 with Vernet holding the gun at them. And he says, I'm afraid I must insist. <laughs> Set the box down. So polite. And Sophie's like, but, but you said you and my grandfather were friends. And he says, I have a duty to protect your grandfather's assets. And that is exactly what I am doing. Now set the box on the floor. Okay, well then, why'd you help them break out of your bank? And she says, my grandfather entrusted this to me. Well, <laughs> did you get that in writing? Because <laughs> you don't really have a great leg to stand on, Soph. But Vernet's pointing at her with a gun. So she puts the box down. And then he says, Langdon, bring the box over to me and be aware that I'm asking you because you, I would not hesitate to shoot. I guess because he wouldn't shoot Sophie so quickly, but he would shoot Langdon. Not really a nice thing to say. Like, I know you've got a gun pointed to their head, but you don't have to pretty much say like, oh, I don't care about your life. Yes, it's implied by holding a gun to their head, but I think it's a bit rude. And Langdon stared at the banker in disbelief. He's always just so shocked by everything. And he says, why are you doing this? And he goes, to protect my client's assets. Like that's what I fucking said earlier. And Sophie goes, we are your clients now. And I'm like, oh, you presumptuous little thing. You stroppy little thing. Like, no, have you paid a bill to this bank? No, you haven't. You are not the client here, sweetheart. No, 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 no. And he says, Mademoiselle Nouveau, I don't know how you got that key and account number tonight, but it seems obvious that foul play was involved. Had I known the extent of your crimes, I would never have helped you leave the bank. So it's all a bit confusing, but what I'm guessing is he heard a radio announcement about Sophie and Langdon also killing the other three center show because he already knew that Sophie and Langdon were the prime suspects in the killing of his best friend, Jacques Sounier, and he got over that pretty quickly. And so he's like, yeah, I'll help you guys escape, even though you're the prime suspects in your granddad's murder. But now I think hearing on the radio that more people were involved, he's like, what? How dare they? I've got to get this box off them. It's not really tracking for me because he was well aware that they were the prime suspects. Like he knew what they did, but uh. so she goes, I told you we had nothing to do with my grandfather's death. And that's when he says, yeah, but the radio says you're also wanted for a few other deaths as well. And Langdon goes, what? Now he's thunderstruck. Always so fucking shocked. And he's thinking three more murders. And then listen to this. The coincidental number hit him harder than the fact that he was the prime suspect. It seemed too unlikely to be a coincidence. So the coincidental number seemed unlikely to be a coincidence. Okay, that's just bad language. (laughs) That's just just really, really bad writing. And so Langdon's thinking it's the three center show. Yeah, okay. And then he's like, oh, that's the missing piece of the puzzle that I was just ruminating on. If the three center show were murdered, then Sonia had no option. So he had to transfer the keystone to someone. Oh, it all makes sense. He's still rolling with the fact that this has got anything to do with the Priory of Scion. So now Vernet's saying, the police can sort all that out when I turn you in. I've gotten my bank involved too far already. Yet, what are you thinking? You've already helped them escape. You've impersonated a delivery driver. You've lied to Colette's face. You lied about having a Rolex and now, now you're just like, oh, change of heart. Now you're going to turn around and it's all going to be hunky dory. 
what it is is Dan Brown just needed them to get out of the bank. And then he's like, oh, I'll just have the character make a complete 180 and it'll be another complication for the plot. But at least I'll get them out of the bank. That solves that problem. Who cares if the characterization's inconsistent? And Sophie, she's like, well, actually, if you had an intention to take us to the police station, why wouldn't you have done that instead of taking us out here to some random fucking forest and holding us at gunpoint? And he's like, I'm not letting whatever your granddad had in your vault be now some sort of police investigation evidence. Fuck that. He's like, give me the box. And Sophie's like, don't bring it to him, Langdon. And so then a gunshot goes off, just hits the back of the truck. It's an armored vehicle. I don't know why you just shoot randomly, but I guess it spooks him. And Vinette's like, pick up the fucking box and bring me the fucking box. And so Langdon's like, geez, all right. So he picks up the box and he moves over with the box. And he's thinking, I've got to do something. I'm about to hand over the Priory Keystone. So now he's convinced. So he goes up to the door of the truck. How big is this truck? (sighs) And so then he places the box on the floor near the door. And then as he's getting up, he spies the spent pistol shell on the floor besides the truck's precision crafted door sill. Oh my God. So he gives it a little nudge with his foot so that it falls down onto the narrow ledge that was the door's lower sill. We're getting the full schematic of this doorway. And so then Vernet's like, all right, back up, back up. And Vernet's like, oh God, this is is hard work. His heart's pounding. And now we get like a page long paragraph of Vernet trying to juggle the box and the gun. (laughs) It's really quite comical. So, (laughs) So he's pointing the gun at them. And then he's like bending down to pick up the box but it's too heavy for, for him to hold one-handed. I, it can't be that heavy. It's the size of a shoebox. It's just this like hollow rosewood box. I don't know why it's that heavy. So he lays the gun down on the bumper. Then he quickly scoops up the box. And then with, I don't know, he frees up his other hand and he picks up the gun again. And neither of them had moved and he's like jackpot. So then he's like, now all that remained was to close and lock the door. Like, oh, we're getting the full blow by blow of every single movement. So, oh no, so no, then he's putting the box back on the ground for the moment. Uh, why would you, oh, oh, on the ground on the other side of the truck. I don't know. He's putting the box down on the ground and then he grabs the metal door and he heaves it close. And as the door's swinging, he's grabbing the bolt and pulling it to the left. Uh, but, but then the door doesn't shut properly. Okay. I, I mean, it could just be as easy as, oh my God, the door didn't shut properly, but we, we get a full breakdown. The bolt slid a few inches and crunched to an unexpected halt, not lining up with its sleeve. And he's like, what's going on? So he pulls again, but the bolt wouldn't lock. The mechanism was not properly aligned. And then Vernet's thinking, the door isn't fully closed, exclamation mark. Like, yet we fucking figured. And then feeling a surge of panic, he's then pushing against the door, but it refused to budge. And then again, in italics, he's thinking, something is blocking it, exclamation mark. Like, yeah, no fucking shit. So then he's throwing a full shoulder out the door, trying to barge it shut. And then Langdon on the other side of the door pushes it open. It hits Vernet in the face. So he's reeling backwards onto the ground. His nose breaks. And then the gun flew out of his hands like it's a bloody kid's movie. Like, like seriously, it's just flying out of his hands. Get a grip, Vernet. Get a fucking grip. This is written like it's a Tom and Jerry cartoon, just with guns flying all about. And so then... The gun flew as Vernet reached for his face and he felt the warm blood running from his nose. So then Robert, he's, he's like a bloody bat out of hell and he's running out of the truck. He's presumably scooped up the gun and the box. I don't know how he managed both with just the two pair of hands. He must be stronger than Vernet. Uh, who knows? And so then I guess he's gotten around the front of the truck and he's driving off. 
because Vernet, he's now on the ground like in pain, in a cloud of dirt and exhaust billowing over him. But it must be a manual truck <laughs> because Langdon can't drive it and he hits a tree. <laughs> and that like breaks the front bumper. So it's like dangling off. <laughs> this guy needs to learn to drive stick. Fucking useless. So then the armored car <laughs> defeats the tree and it lurches away with its front bumper dragging. Oh, hilarious. Oh, hilarious. And so then Vernet's looking around and he's like, oh no, they got the box. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Thank you for the plot movement, Vernet. And now may we never hear of you ever again. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, and then we go to chapter 50. It's such a boring, quick chapter. So Bishop Aaron Gross is at the Castel Gandolfo. He's just leaving that meeting. And seriously, it's so pointless. He just gets in the car to go back to, I don't know, a hotel or to the airport, who the fuck knows? And he's checking his phone and there's no, no new messages from the teacher. There's no calls or anything. And he's like, oh no, he didn't call me. And then the driver's like, oh, if you're looking for phone calls, there's no reception up in the mountains. And he's like, what? No reception. What if I've missed a call from the teacher? Oh no. And then he just thinks about the teacher and that's about it. And he's like, oh no, even worse. Maybe the teacher thinks I'm not calling him. And he thinks I've run off with the money, which I think we do find out is 20 million euros. That's like the one thing we do find out. So that's all. Just anxiety over whether or not your phone's working. What a common problem I'm sure we've all had. I was just watching some shit on Netflix the other day and someone was like, oh, is my phone working, you guys? Because she was waiting for a text from a boy and they were like, yeah, your phone's working. Like it's a phone, it works. And she's like, oh, damn it. I thought maybe I had run out of reception. And I was like, what? Anyway, so he was having that same whole moment there. Um, yeah, really super boring. Don't know why I'm still talking about it. Uh, there is just one little moment where he says, nobody understood better than the teacher, the perils of speaking openly in this modern world. Electronic eavesdropping had played a major role in how he had gathered his astonishing array of secret knowledge, which I just think is funny to note because we were hearing about the dangers of electronic eavesdropping (laughs) with the Priory just last chapter. And you know what? We can just say bugged. Can we not just say bugged? Why have we got to say electronic eavesdropping? That just seems so formal. Anyway, so now the bishop's worried that his boyfriend's not calling him back. Uh, Okay, then we go to chapter 51. We're back with Langdon driving slash crashing the truck. The front bumper is dragging along the road, sending up sparks. And he's like, oh, we should probably get off the road. Not because of the damage that he's causing, but because he doesn't want to be caught. And Langdon's thinking about how beat up the front of the truck is. And he's like, 
Apparently, the armour in this armoured truck referred only to the cargo hold and not the front end. <laughs> Hilarious. No, no one thinks an armoured truck means that the front part's armoured, you fucking idiot. So then Sophie's in the passenger seat. I, I mean, I would have pulled over and made her drive. But she's like, are you okay? And she's like, oh my God, do you believe him? And Langdon says, oh, about the three additional murders? Absolutely. It answers a lot of questions. The issue of your grandfather's desperation to pass on the keystone, as well as the intensity with which Fash is hunting me. Well, I mean, you, you were named. In the murder victim's last dying minutes, he wrote your name on the floor. So I think maybe that's part of it as well. And she's like, oh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't care if you believe that or not. I meant, do you believe if Vernet's actually trying to protect his bank or if he wants to take the keystone for himself? And Langdon's like, what? How would he even know what it contains? And she says, his bank stored it. Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't really know if that means that he knows what's inside. And she goes, Andy knew my grandfather. I mean, your grandfather was famous, but maybe he knew things. He might've decided he wanted the grail for himself. I don't know, maybe. Does it really matter? It was a moot point of a character, like uh, move on. And Langdon says, in my experience, there are only two reasons people seek the grail. Either they are naive and they believe they are searching for the long lost cup of Christ, or they know the truth and are threatened by it. Many groups throughout history have sought to destroy the grail. And so I was like, well, this would be a perfect moment for him to bring up his theory about what the grail actually is. But no, he decides to pull over and knock off the bumper. Well, he first tries to bend the bumper back, but apparently he's not Wonder Woman, so he doesn't have the strength to do that. So then he just starts like smacking the bumper, like kicking it, trying to snap it off. But before he does that, or while he's doing that, he has this big little mind journey that he goes on, thinking about the Priory and everything that happened tonight. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And I'm like, how long is he kicking this fucking bumper for? He was starting to feel the ponderous weight of responsibility, the prospect that he and Sophie might actually be holding an encrypted set of directions to one of the most enduring mysteries of all time. Yeah, we get it. The amount of just repeating shit over and over again, just so we get the point. We get the point. So, yep, um, he realized that any possibility of finding a way to return the keystone had just evaporated, blah, 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 three murders, blah, blah, blah. The Priory has been infiltrated, blah, blah, blah. The Brotherhood was obviously being watched or there was a mole within the ranks or there was electronic eavesdropping. He thinks that explains why the Brotherhood passed on the keystone to Sophie and himself. Even if he could find any other Priory members, he can't just give them the keystone because what if they're the enemy behind it all? Oh, so much to think about while he's kicking this bumper down for 55 minutes. As he repeatedly kicked the twisted metal, Langdon recalled his earlier conversation with Sophie. My grandfather left me a phone message, she'd told him. Blah, 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 blah. At the time, it had meant nothing. But now, knowing the Priory was involved, he felt a startling new possibility emerge. And then the bumper broke off suddenly with a crash. How can it be breaking off suddenly when you've been kicking it for 55 fucking minutes? No, it wasn't suddenly. It just happened finally after an accumulation of kicks. (sighs) And then he's like, oh, good. At least the truck would no longer look like a 4th of July sparkler. What? Okay. And then he's thinking, hmm, what next? We need help, professional help. And then he thinks in the world of the Holy Grail and the Priory of Sion, that meant only one man. The challenge would be selling the idea to Sophie. So then Sophie is just waiting patiently inside the armored car, probably watching him being like, oh my God, this little weakling. 
how can he not kick off with this bumper that's already half off? And she's probably thinking like, maybe I should get in the driver's seat because this guy just ran into multiple trees. But no, she's actually thinking about why her grandfather gave her the box. Again, he didn't really choose to. You're sort of the last resort. And she thinks, think Sophie, exclamation mark. Use your head. Ground pair is trying to tell you something, exclamation mark. And so then she opens up the cryptex and she's like, oh, it's a proof of merit. That's right. I should try and solve it. So she she manipulates the cryptex to spell out grail. And and that that didn't work. (laughs) What a shock. That didn't work. So then she tries Vinci, nothing. Then she tries Vult, nothing. And she's like, well, that's me done. (laughs) France's greatest cryptologist had three things that she could come up with. (laughs) And now she's spent. She's like, well, nothing. (laughs) So she puts the thing back in the box and closes the lid. Oh, you're shitting me. Also, I'd be getting rid of the box at this point. The box, it's too cumbersome. It's too heavy. You have to hold, hold it with two hands. You have to hide it under jackets. No, ditch the fucking box and keep the cryptex in your pocket. That's what I would do. Oh, and then she's looking outside at Langdon again. He must still be going. I don't know where we're at in time and space, but he's, he's still doing something outside. And she felt grateful that he was with her tonight. And she thinks about the PS find Robert Langdon. And she says her grandfather's rationale for including him was now clear. Sophie was not equipped to understand her grandfather's intentions, so he had assigned Robert Langdon as her guide. Blah, blah, fucking blah. So then Langdon gets back in the car and he says, do you know how to get to Versailles? And she's like, what, are we going sightseeing, are we? And he's like, no, of course not. I have a plan. You know, it wouldn't have surprised me if he actually did want to go sightseeing. Remember when he was about to go see a dead body in the Louvre and he was like, oh, look at this beautiful Botticelli. So yeah, mm, I can imagine him wanting to have a little pit stop at Versailles. Like while you're in the neighborhood, why not? He says, no, I have a plan. There's a religious historian I know who lives near Versailles. I can't remember where, but we can look it up. Look it up, look it up on what? Look it up on what, a map? You don't have phones. He says, I've been to his estate a few times. I love how th- this whole book, they're like, oh, I don't really know where it is, but it's, it's Paris. So you just, you just drive in that direction and you'll eventually find it. Like, no, I don't think so. Trust me, I've been to Paris. I got lost so many fucking times. And they're like, oh, it's just somewhere near Versailles. Like, it's a big fucking country. Oh, I just don't get it. So they're talking about this guy called Lee Teabing. He's a former British royal historian and he lives in Paris. And Langdon says, yeah, Teabing's life passion is the grail. So when whisperings of the Priory Keystone surfaced about 15 years ago, he moved to France to search churches in hopes of finding it. (laughs) Poor bastard. Oh, he must have gone to so many churches. So many churches. Which makes me think, you know how like Silas in like the early chapters after he killed Sonia, he went to the Saint-Sulpice, the most interesting church in Paris, and he found that rose line and then he like whacked the stone that was underneath the rose line. How come he was the first person to ever do that? Remember because Sister Saint-Jean was looking on and she was like, oh no, someone's finally done it, the prophecy. Uh, I have to alert the center show. So Tebing never went, never went to the church that had the rose line in it? Because I assume he would have tried it. Or some other grail buff, since apparently the world's filled with grail buffs. Maybe they would have tried it, but no, Silas was the first. Uh, Okay, so this guy's just been living in France, church hopping, trying to find the Holy Grail. Imagine if it were that easy. And Sophie's like, can we trust him? And she goes, trust him to what? Not steal the information? And she's like, no, turn us in, dickhead. Like, what if he turns us in? And he goes, oh, I don't intend to tell him we're wanted by the police. I'm hoping he'll take us in until we can sort this all out. It's like 3 a.m. So yeah, he might not be up watching the news. 
But also, you're just going to wake up this old man at 3 a.m.? Would that not make him suspicious? Being like, hey, what's Robert Langdon and some random French chickadee doing on my doorstep at 3 a.m.? Maybe they're wanted by the police. Because if someone ever rocks up to my doorstep at 3 a.m., I'm thinking something shady's going on. And like an old colleague, if an old colleague knocked on my door at 3 a.m., I'd say, go home. You are not wanted here. I'm not being paid right now to spend time with you. Go away. So in what world T-Bing would just open the doors for Langdon at 3 a.m.? Like, please. Obviously, he's in on it. Like, anyone who's opening the door, shady. And yes, yeah, spoiler alert, I think T-Bing's behind it all. And I think that because I know that because I've read the book and I've seen the movie. Um, but yes, yeah, so spoilers, T-Bing's the teacher. Just keep that in mind. And also it's super fucking obvious, like throughout the book, Dan Brown will try and convince you that it's not obvious, but it's so obvious. And then you think like, oh my God, it's so obvious. It can't be that it can't be him because it's just too obvious. No, no, it's him. And Robert has the worst instincts to trust this guy. Like, oh, there's this man who's obsessed with the grail. He has funds. He's well connected. Hmm. There's no way he could be behind this. No way that this man obsessed with the grail who's made it his life's ambition to destroy the secret behind the grail. There's no way he could be involved. And so Sophie, she's like, Robert, like we're on the TV. Like, haven't you realized by now that Fash will have used the media to his advantage? And Langdon's like, oh, terrific. My French TV debut will be on Paris's most wanted. And I think, you know, Angels and Demons was like six months ago. So I think there's footage of him like flying around in a, at the bottom of a helicopter going around Rome, blowing shit up or something. So I think maybe he has appeared on the news before. So like that should be the least of your concerns. Also, you already know you've been on the news because everyone else seems to know that you guys were killing people. I mean, you're at least on the radio. Vanette heard it. Uh, anyway, so then Sophie's like, is he a good friend? And Langdon doubted Teabing was someone who watched television, especially at this hour. And then Instinct told Langdon that Teabing would be totally trustworthy, an ideal safe harbour. You need to learn to not trust your gut, Robert. <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. Langdon says Teabing could be a powerful ally. And Sophie's like, well, Fash is probably offering a monetary award. And Langdon's like, oh, believe me, money is the last thing this guy needs. Teabing was wealthy in the way small countries were wealthy. He's a descendant of Britain's first Duke of Lancaster and he'd gotten his money the old-fashioned way. He'd inherited it. His estate outside of Paris was a 7th century palace with two private lakes. Okay, no. I'm sorry, two private lakes? What do you do in the second one that you can't do in the first one? That's ridiculous. Maybe one's a heated lake and one's a cool lake. No, that's, that's not a pool, so it can't be that. Why would you need two lakes? So then Langdon's going, oh, he's going on about Teabing's resume. Ah, so Teabing had approached the BBC with a proposal for a historical documentary in which he would expose the explosive history of the Holy Grail to a mainstream television audience. And the BBC were loving it. They were like, oh, that's a hot premise. But they had concerns that the concept was so shocking and hard to swallow that the network might end up tarnishing its reputation for quality journalism. So at Teabing's suggestion, the BBC solved its credibility fears by getting three cameos from respected historians from around the world, one of whom was Langdon. And yet, remember a few flashbacks ago when Langdon gave his editor his manuscript with this theory about the Holy Grail and his editor had never heard of it, never fucking heard of it, but also this guy's client was on TV saying the exact same thing a few years ago on the BBC. 
So I think you should fire your editor or your agent or whoever the fuck he is because he's obviously not paying much attention to your career, Robert. And that's the thing, like you're writing a book about it being like, it's explosive. It's already been on the BBC. BB been there and done that, Robert. And then he goes into the whole flashback of the time that he went to T-Bing's estate and he got interviewed by the BBC. Oh, thrilling stuff. Then it says, when the program aired in Britain, despite its ensemble cast and well-documented evidence, the premise rubbed so hard against the grain of popular Christian thought that it instantly confronted a firestorm of hostility and it never aired in the States. But the repercussions echoed across the Atlantic. Okay, can we just go back to despite its ensemble cast. What, you just said it was Teabing and three historians. It's not an Avengers film. And then shortly after the BBC aired it, Langdon received a postcard from an old friend who just happens to be the Catholic Bishop of Philadelphia. And the card simply read, et tu, Robert. Okay, now that's, that's an extra bishop. Also, how's he friends with the Bishop of Philadelphia? Who knew Philadelphia had a bishop? So many questions. Why is he just bosom buddies with the Bishop of Philadelphia? And then they're sending postcards, postcards in the early 2000s from Philadelphia to Boston. Surely you'd email. And so she asks, can you trust him? And he says, absolutely. We're colleagues. He doesn't need money. And I happen to know he despises the French authorities. The French government taxes him at absurd rates because he bought a historic landmark. (laughs) Oh, so, okay. He's not going to cooperate with the French police because he pays taxes. So Sophie, she's 20 questions and so she should be. She's like, how do you know he's not a member of the Brotherhood already? And he says, T-Bing spent his life trying to broadcast the truth about the Holy Grail. The Priory's oath is to keep its true nature hidden. And she's like, well, that sounds like a conflict of interest. Yeah, it certainly is. And Langdon's like, oh, I get her hesitancy because Sonia had given the cryptex directly to Sophie. And so she'd be hesitant to involve a total stranger. I get that. But also, had he given the cryptex directly to Sophie or did he just hide a key behind a painting in the Louvre? I don't know. So then um, he says, well, we don't need to tell him about the keystone immediately. Oh, blah, blah, fucking blah. He says, eventually you'll start to have an idea why your grandfather gave this to you. And she goes, to us. He gave us the cryptex, Robert. And then Langdon felt a humble pride and wondered yet again why Sonia had included him. Um, maybe because you were in town. Like he wasn't planning on dying. And yet you just happened to be given a lecture in Paris the night that he dies. And he's like, well, you know what? That, that'd be quite handy for Sophie to get in touch with. So PS find Robert Langdon. I assume if you were still in Boston, you wouldn't have been included. He might've said PS find T-Bing. Actually, why didn't he say PS find T-Bing? If T-Bing knows more about the grail than any other person on earth, as Robert's just been telling us for six or seven pages, why wouldn't have Sonia just been like, PS find T-Bing? And then when Fash goes to arrest Teabing, he would have gotten the right guy. So Sophie's like, okay, fine. Like, but where does he actually live? Like besides a big place. And he says, the estate is called Chateau Villette. And Sophie's like, the Chateau Villette? (laughs) So she's heard of it. And he's like, that's the one. And she goes, oh yeah, I know where that is. It's in the castle district. Wow. Must be nice to have a castle district. Imagine living in the castle district. Yeah, you should be paying a lot of fucking taxes if you live in the castle district. Like, hello, like, let's eat the rich. What's this motherfucker doing with all this money while people are starving in the streets? And he's living in the castle district. Bring out the guillotine. Let's chop off his head. And she also says, oh, the castle district, that's just 20 minutes from here. So (laughs) does she drive for Uber? Because she seems to know where everything is. Oh, the castle district, just 20 minutes away. And then Langdon frowns and he's like, oh, that's pretty far. What? 
20 minutes away. That's super good. You were just driving outside on the outskirts of Paris. Like you were driving through some park filled with prostitutes not that long ago. I think to only be 20 minutes away from Versailles is not that bad. And she goes, yeah, well, you'll have enough time to tell me what the Holy Grail really is in that 20 minute drive. And he goes, no, I'll tell you at Teabing's. (laughs) He is wanting to drag this out for as long as possible. He says, besides, the Grail has been Teabing's life. And hearing the story of the Holy Grail from Lee Teabing will be like hearing the theory of relativity from Einstein himself. So yeah, why wouldn't have Sonia have called him up? Interesting. And she goes, well, let's hope Lee doesn't mind late night visitors. And he goes, well, actually it's Sir Lee. He was knighted by the queen several years back after composing an extensive history on the house of York. And she goes, you're kidding, right? We're going to visit a knight. And he says, Sophie, we're on a grail quest. Who better to help us than a knight? And that's the end of the chapter. And I think Dan Brown's like, oh, that's a good fucking line. But also like, you know what? Elton John's a knight. Would he be that handy in this situation? No, he wouldn't. Like, does, does Langdon know that modern knights aren't actually knights? Like, there's not a round table. He's not King Arthur. But I think he thinks that Teabing's an actual knight. That's concerning. Anyway, so that was a big last chapter to end on. Let me know your thoughts. You can always send an email to whatever my email address is. You can leave ratings, reviews. And you can also jump on over to Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking down bad books to get in on the Maze Runner content. And I'll see you all next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.